following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to Ye Old Program, everybody. Episode 762 of I Doubted Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the lovely, the talented, the scholarly, and the grumbly tum, Brittany Page, everybody. I think, I'm just going to ignore that, um, but I think that... Grumble, grumble, grumble. <laughs> I think that... Grumble, grumble, grumble. Earlier on the on the television on the television someone announced that it was the 22nd month of the pandemic does that sound right yeah yeah 22nd yeah i've been saying 18 months but in march february or march it's gonna be 24 months so Mm -hmm. yeah that's it yeah that's it Mm -hmm. we just did the math pretty page yeah well i think i had been saying it had been three years and that's yeah that is wrong but it feels like three years. In some ways, it does feel longer than two years. In some day, in some ways, like all of 2021 just went away. I mean, like yeah. it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember back in March of 2020 when everything started because I was working at a clinic and we had to call our clients. And I remember telling the clients yeah, you know, we're going to figure this out. It's going to be, you know, two weeks. We'll see what happens. Maybe two weeks. We don't have you guys in here. We'll just do phone sessions for those two weeks. And then after yeah. that, we, things should be back to normal. That's really what we thought. Yeah, yeah, We yeah. didn't know what else to expect. Looking back at that now, it seems absurd that that was what we thought yeah. would happen. But at the time, just similar to what's happening with the new variant, everyone's trying to get information, things are really new, you're trying to get it figured out, and you're just kind of going with the flow of information. Yeah, so it's it's almost like you live day to day and lose track of the larger scope of time. I mean, there's a similar thing happens to me all the time where I think um, that it was... I refer to being in Spokane with my daughter going mm-hmm. through when when she went through chemo mm-hmm. as this summer. Right. When that was a year and a half ago now. Right. Mm-hmm. A year and a half ago. Yeah. It's just wow. Yeah. It's, crazy. It's pretty remarkable. And now we have Time goes differently sometimes. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> and now we have the new variant. And I think at 3 p.m. today, it said that the third case in the United States had been confirmed. Yeah, we've got one in San Francisco, one in Minnesota. And the, the third one was Colorado, but now it's in New York, and now it is also in L.A. County. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there, these stories are just going to keep popping up because I'm sure it's everywhere at this point because these are also people in some of the cases that traveled back to the United States on November 22nd is uh the date that I'm I've seen. So it's already here. We knew that like 
President Biden said not to panic, something to be concerned about, but not to panic. So let this be a reminder that you should get your booster shot. If you are in relationship with people who are not vaccinated, you should be putting the heat on thick to get them to get vaccinated. I don't have the magic solution there. I don't I don't think anyone does. I, I keep hearing this conversation happening too of how are we going to get the unvaccinated vaccinated because they're the main problem. I, I I don't know what to do about that. I think that ship has sailed. I, I think those that, that have remained recalcitrant related to getting vaccinated, uh, what's going to convince them? I mean, right now we have the portion of the population that have witnessed their pastors die, have witnessed their relatives die, who then they themselves have gotten COVID and been hospitalized and still won't get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, we have 20, 25% of the population that um, will actively work against their own best interest, even if it means killing themselves. Well, and I... I definitely don't want to be recommending individual solutions for a systemic problem here. I, I'm I'm only saying, like, put pressure on the people you're connected to that are unvaccinated. If that's, like, fun for you, it, you know, if you want to ruin the relationship and... <laughs> no, listen. Um, let's talk about... Let's talk about that. Let, let's talk about what exact kind of pressure can be squeezed onto somebody. Mm-hmm. If you, if you have a family, if you've got family members that, that refuse, then they don't get to see their grandkids. They don't get to see their nieces and nephews. They can't come around. Mm-hmm. They don't get to attend family functions because, hey, sorry, you're not going to endanger the rest of us. It's almost like an intervention. Mm-hmm. Like if, listen, this is your moment to get treatment. And if you don't take it, we're all deleting your number out of our phone. It's like tough love time. Mm-hmm. Well, and going back to what I said about not wanting to recommend an individual solution to a systemic problem. Germany is kind of taking an approach right now that I think the United States should be taking. They're announcing a nationwide lockdown for the unvaccinated because they're pretty sick of the unvaccinated ruining everyone else's time, <laughs> as as we should be yes. and as we are. They're going to be banned from going to locations that are not essential. So like they can go to supermarkets, they can go to pharmacies, but other things they're not going to be able to do. Yeah, they're not going to restaurants. They're not going to concerts. They're not going out to their local coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're also going to make a move for uh, mandatory vaccinations. So that could be voted on through parliament and that could take effect possibly February next year. Yeah. So. Well, listen, I- I'm, I'll ask the question again. And we're going to get on a plane tomorrow morning. And uh, why is a vaccine not mandated to fly? Mm-hmm. That would squeeze a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you don't get to get on, get on a train. You don't get to get on a plane. If you want to travel anywhere of any import to yourself, you got to get in your own car and drive the hundreds and or thousands of miles to get there. When I was watching the press conference today, uh, Press Secretary Jen Psaki said that that was something that was being looked at, but well, 
she was kind of hedging. She wasn't wanting to confirm it necessarily because she was downplaying it, saying that there's a lot of ideas that get tossed around on a daily basis that never see the light of day. So almost like they don't want to scare people because I think a lot of people will get very upset by that. But I agree that that's where we need to go. There need to be restrictions in place that motivate people because this isn't going to stop. And they keep complaining. They keep complaining. They want it to go back to normal when they're the reason it's not going back to normal. They won't wear a mask. They won't get vaccinated. What's left to do? I'm let me me just speak for myself that if there was a vaccine mandate to fly, I'd feel way more comfortable about the assholes who let the mask slip below their below their nose. Yeah. Ah, That guy's a prick, but I'm not going to freak out. Yeah. I'm well, not going to be uh, uh, um, compelled to mm-hmm. or have the urge to mm-hmm. whip out my phone and make them TikTok famous. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I never want to be that guy because while I enjoy all of the Karen videos that are served to me on TikTok, mm-hmm. the hundreds of hilarious and entertaining TikTok uh, Karen videos, ah. I can imagine that whoever was taking the video was also scorned in the moment. Yeah. And I don't want to be that guy. (laughs) Well, also, for all the videos that you see of people getting punched out and cussed out and carried off planes and arrested over things like masks, every time that I have been on a plane during the pandemic, which, of course, is not very often because it is only when I'm, you know, fully vaccinated after I have my booster shot, but... In in the situations where I have been on planes, these things are not seriously enforced. They announce right, right. that there is a consequence yeah. and that you can be fine. <laughs> For sure. But they don't actually enforce that. Also, and this is only anecdotal, but the few times we have flown, every single time, mm-hmm. every single leg of every single trip has involved someone being a dumb fuck, including... Mm-hmm including flight attendants with their little fake bedazzled uh, mesh masks, bejeweled mesh masks Mm -hmm. that you can see right through them. I'm watching her mouth move as she talks through the mask. Yeah. Anyway, not great, but uh, if the government is not going to get the fucking job done, if the Biden administration is going to be perpetually analyzing all of the good ideas <laughs> and never doing anything, mm-hmm. then it, it's incumbent upon us on an interpersonal basis yeah. to box out those pieces of shit in your family who are who are dead set on endangering you and themselves. Well, and Sorry, I'm just a little... Uh, it hits home, man. Yeah, well, and I, I think with, with President Biden making his announcement today about his five-tier plan, five-point plan, I think it's a five-point plan, of how to combat the new variant. And he he took some time to talk about how COVID-19 has been politicized and how unfortunate that is and how he hopes that we can all come together. But Again, that's all that he says is like, I hope thinking. I hope that we are united on this. I hope that we can come together. This has been too politicized. These little speeches that he makes romanticizing again bipartisanship. bipartisanship. Yep. <laughs> it's it's not going anywhere. It's not having yeah. the effect that he wants it to have. We're living in very different times where, you know, you have Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. Wow. 
who is ratcheting up hate so much so that Representative Ilhan Omar got that death threat phone call that she played live for the press yeah. that was racist, vulgar, horrifying in terms of a direct threat on yeah. her life. And that is being stirred up by her coworkers in Congress. Yeah. And Joe Biden is over here like, <laughs> Kumbaya, let's all get together and do some bipartisan work. Let's be united, guys. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> when, you know, the, the people who are left, who are, who, are, who are the ones who he would have to be reaching out to. Yeah. Are the ones who are the problem. They are the ones who are leaving the you're a sand N-word messages mm-hmm. on Ilhan Omar's voicemail. Yeah. Threatening her with death. So let, let's hear that five-point plan, though, because we, we like solutions around here. So let's see. How is this problem going to get solved? What's this five-point plan? There are five key actions that I want to see us take this winter. <clears throat> first of all, first is expanding the nationwide booster campaign with more outreach, more appointments, more hours, more times and sites to walk in, providing boosters shots for up to uh, – 110 million Americans who are eligible for boosters. But the second point is that launching new family vaccination clinics to make it easier for children, parents, and whole families to get vaccinated into one place. And new policies to keep our children in school instead of quarantining them at home. The third piece of this is making free at-home tests more available than ever before and having them covered by your private insurance plans available in thousands of locations and available community health centers and other sites for the uninsured who don't have insurance. Four, increasing our surge response team that our our doctors, our nurses, I know people in this audience know incredibly well about what a surge team is, but uh, medical staff into communities with rising cases and overburdened hospitals and short on personnel. The fifth thing we're doing is accelerate efforts to vaccinate the rest of the world and strengthen the, strengthen the international travel rules for people coming to the United States. Some of it, I think, is going to be uh, a good thing. I mean, mm-hmm. all of it's going to be good in some, some measure. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you this, and it bothers me a lot, that it's taken us this long to have it be the fifth point of his five-point plan about getting vaccines across the rest of the globe. I mean, because it is... We are largely in the place we are right now, especially with the Omicron, Omicron, Omnicron, whatever everybody's calling it, especially with this new variant that we don't know really anything about yet, other than that it's quick moving and transmits a little quicker, we think. Um, We're largely in this place because the rest of the world isn't even as vaccinated as we are, and we're not vaccinated to the point that we should be. Mm -hmm. There should have been a concerted effort by wealthy nations to make it happen. Mm-hmm. For, for one, there shouldn't be patents on these things. The patent uh, control should be lifted and poorer nations should have the ability to manufacture them themselves. But we have people like Bill Gates who stood in the way of that with the AstraZeneca vaccine, mm-hmm. who wanted to, who threatened to pull funding from research and all this other th- bullshit if they lifted the patent and, and allowed it to be open now, to everyone. Now, Jesse D., I, I'm pretty sure I remember Bill Gates being a friendly billionaire. Right, yeah. Isn't he one of the good ones? Yeah, he's one of the good ones that um, was on the Epstein plane a whole bunch. 
Which that trial's happening right now, and wow, bananas. So there's just when we're planning a show, there's just <laughs> there's too many things yeah. to really address. But again, where this fell short for me was not kind of getting to the heart of the problem, which we keep emphasizing is people who are not getting vaccinated or participating at all in the societal efforts to stop the pandemic by doing whatever is necessary to help us get out of this hell that we have been in for two years. They need to feel the squeeze. They need to feel some discomfort because up to this point, they've been able to gallivant willy-nilly throughout society, mask-free, consequence-free. And one thing I want to talk about, this, this story just came out today. Did you hear that Facebook was selling ads promoting anti-vaccine messages? Not just anti-vaccine messages, but comparing vaccines to the Holocaust, the Holocaust. I did see this. And this is it's great because it's not that they just allowed the content, allowed these conspiracy theory websites to share the content. They profited from it. They sold ads. They were cashing checks and then distributing these ads through their ad cell network to the world. Yeah. Donny Donny O'Sullivan is that his name? That's right. The Over CNN, at CNN. Guy, right? Yeah, yeah. He he broke this story, and in his reporting, he mentions that this came from a Facebook page called Ride the Red Wave, and they only have ten thousand followers on their page. But Facebook has made two hundred and eighty thousand dollars from ads that have been run by this page. And when you run ads, obviously, you have uh, expanded reach. Yeah. So it's not just the 10,000 followers on your page. You're, you're not sending ads to people that already like and follow your page. You're trying to get reach. You're trying to get reach across different groups, different yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, interests on Facebook. You can target your ads to different interests. I wonder what the interests were on this ad. So it can potentially reach millions oh, of for people. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Especially with a budget of 280 some thousand dollars. So you have people that are seeing things like this in their Facebook feed. And 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 uh, Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg, is profiting off of that. Yeah. Making a good living for himself. Mm-hmm. Connecting people with the Facebook. Yeah. So we will keep doing what we have been doing. That guy's about as bad as for fucking democracy as any human being who's ever lived. We... Just because of the scale of the operation that he's got over there. Fuck Mark Zuckerberg. Fuck Facebook. We Goddamn will... gross. We will keep following the new variant, and we would encourage all of the listeners to, if you haven't already, please get your booster shot. Please continue following best practices wear masks, test if you feel like you have symptoms, use caution when deciding who you're going to spend time around, try to encourage people around you to be maintaining safe COVID practices, and try not to panic or freak out. And as always, we would love to hear from you about this, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. So we have a new story in our Critical Race Theory Watch. Dun, dun, dun. That was me I... trying to... We still don't have an intro. <laughs> bye, bye. <laughs> I just... I'll click some buttons. Okay. <laughs> so in this edition of Critical Race Theory Watch... We, 
we have Moms for Liberty is back. Moms uh-huh. for Liberty. We've talked about Moms for Liberty. You mean the American Daughters of the Civil War or whatever? This is the, Confederacy. the Tennessee chapter of Moms for Liberty specifically. And they filed a complaint to the Tennessee Department of Education. The Tennessee Department of Education declined to investigate this complaint, but only because they filed the complaint for the new critical race theory rules that are in place for the current school year. However, they were in their complaint discussing lessons that occurred during during the previous school year. What are they whining about now? That The fact that black people exist? Are they angry that that's being taught? Basically, yes. Uh, I'm going to go through some specific examples here, but they take issue with the curriculum specifically including in a grade two module about civil rights heroes, Martin Luther King Jr. and the March on Washington by Francis E. Ruffin. Wow. Ruby Bridges Goes to School, My True Story by Ruby Bridges. The Story of Ruby Bridges by Robert Coles, and Separate is Never Equal by Duncan Tonatia, which I may be saying that incorrectly. So these are stories that you would think they wouldn't have an issue with because they're from history. They really happened. They're important for kids to learn about. Yeah, right? isn't, isn't that a speech the on the March on Washington in August of 1963? Isn't that a speech that they're... Republicans and conservatives are constantly quoting about the content of the character and not the color on the skin. Aren't they constantly talking about that? Why would they not want that taught in school? Well, the complaint is 11 pages, and in the complaint, they actually list specific issues that they have with this content. And in the book about Martin Luther King Jr. and the March on Washington, they reference pages 22 to 23 that show photographs of white firemen blasting black children to the point of, quote, bruising their bodies and ripping off their clothes. You mean... This is a problem for them. The thing that happened. Right. The history. Don't talk about what happened. Kids might learn about... What happened? So they go on to list pages 18 to 19, which shows photograph of photographs of white and, quote, colored drinking fountains, asking, which of these fountains looks nicer to you? Yeah. Again, the history of the horrors that we visited upon people of color in this country for hundreds of years mm-hmm. that it, it went beyond slavery, after slavery, into the modern era. Mm-hmm. Where people who are alive today mm-hmm. suffered under the indignities of government sanctioned. It was under the color of law that this was the case. But they don't want that taught. Right. And similar complaints, I mean, down down the line. Like I said, this is an 11-page document. They take issue with the Ruby Bridges book, specifically labeling pages in that book where white people are holding up signs that say, we want segregation, we don't want to integrate. Again, these are things that actually happened. These are facts. So fucking weird to me. It's and so bizarre. What's what's scary about this, and the reason that we keep talking about critical race theory and we talk about critical race theory watch is because Hello, the only reason that this complaint was not investigated was because it was for the previous school year yeah yeah but if this had been for this year it would be investigated and under the tennessee law maybe these books would be banned or some some action taken right 
And and that is Gross. that's where we're headed. And this is the this is the goal. They want yeah. to censor learning in schools for young kids so that they don't learn factual information. That's what they want. See, this is this is how they're viewing this. That if you show a picture of these fucking racist pieces of shit in the in the fifties and the sixties, and they're they they're holding signs that says race mixing is communism. For them, because those people are white, that is racist that you're showing it. Mm-hmm. Not that it's, yeah, people had some backwards ass ideas. People were hateful. People were murderous related to the issue of race. Right. And it's something we need to learn to so we don't revisit it. Right. But they don't care about that. Yeah. Because the- it makes them, it shows them for what they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, and. It, it is these people who don't want this shown who would have been those people holding those same fucking signs. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they are metaphorically holding those signs right now by trying to get these books banned in schools. While whining about cancel culture. <laughs> exactly. Moms for liberty. Yeah. So Ugh. we will continue to follow these critical race theory stories. Please be sure to, if you see any of them, send them our way because we want to make sure that we don't miss them. And we know that this is happening in several states across the country. So especially, keep your eyes peeled. Yeah, especially if it's happening in your, in your particular municipality. Yeah. Uh, and you can do so at 657-464-7609. Email those voice memos from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. I Doubt It is a listener-supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners just like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time. If you have a few dollars to spare each month, we invite you to help produce the show by joining the Patreon family. Please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. We would like to thank our new Patreon supporters, Jacob, Jacob, Bryant R, Bryant R, David B, David B, Andrew T, Andrew T. And then we need to give a special shout out to our Patreon supporters who have increased their pledges so we want to give a shout out to nurse betty nurse betty thank you very much nurse betty so great and also robbie 82 Ro- oh you know famous robbie 82 that rap scallion <laughs> <laughs> well robbie 82 also sent us a message and said as you may notice i just upped my membership you two are definitely worth it wow that's nice very nice so more than doubled the pledge i by the way, that sounded dickish. Like, wow, oh, that's nice. I, I did not mean it that way. That is nice. That is fantastic. You just can't take compliments. Really? You think I can't take compliments? Well, I should have said that in a more question way. I, I'm the guy who requires compliments. <laughs> like when we have a dinner party or we have people over, yeah. it's a requirement to enter the threshold of the home mm-hmm. to compliment me as you as you enter. Yeah. You have your own version of saying grace and you just ask everyone around the table to please give you a compliment. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like like at Thanksgiving, we don't go around the table and say what we're thankful for. Yeah, yeah. It's, hey, uh, <laughs> say something nice about me. <laughs> what do you like about me? What makes me great? <laughs> We'll be here all night, but wow. try to find something. <laughs> that sounds like a great new tradition. <laughs> We're not doing that. <laughs> all right. Well, we love you guys, even if you don't compliment me enough. Um, <laughs> moving on. 
Dilemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So before we get to the obvious, which is the abortion case before the Supreme Court, we want to talk about Chris Cuomo. Oh, yeah. Chris Cuomo, who was suspended indefinitely from CNN after additional information came out in in just how involved he was in his brother's defense during the sexual harassment allegations. For me, it's it's it goes beyond if it was just him in an effort to defend his brother it would be one thing. But it was him trying to access the details of the actual accusers mm-hmm. where he's trying to out them using his power as a journalist and the brother of a sitting governor of our like third largest state. Right. To to out these women. Yeah. That he, he went he went extra far. It, it's it's egregious and he needed to be fired as soon as it was found out that he was working on the team. Uh, he should have been fired earlier than that for many reasons. But uh, good deal. That he's gone. Tonight, CNN suspending Chris Cuomo indefinitely for the role he played in shaping former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's defense. Here's what we know. South Africa reported seeing cases. His primetime show Monday night made no mention of newly released text messages and interview transcripts by the New York Attorney General's office that show Chris Cuomo helped prepare his brother for a press conference, assisted in drafting public statements, even shared a lead on one of the women accusing then-Governor Cuomo of inappropriate behavior. In his last public comments on the situation, the anchor said he refrained from making any inquiries about his brother. I never made calls to the press about my brother's situation. I never influenced or attempted to control CNN's coverage of my family. But text messages between Cuomo and the governor's top aide, Melissa DeRosa, tell a different story. DeRosa reaching out to Cuomo for information about an impending article from The New Yorker's Ronan Farrow. Did you get any more intel, DeRosa texted? Chris Cuomo responding, story not ready for tomorrow. Telling investigators he called a fellow journalist who works with Ronan a lot to get the information. Cuomo said he would seek information at the direction of DeRosa. Telling investigators, when asked, I would reach out to sources, other journalists, to see if they had heard of anybody else coming out. The anchor attempted to downplay his role after his brother's resignation in August. I said point blank, I can't be objective when it comes to my family. So I never reported on the scandal. And when it happened, I tried to be there for my brother. I'm not an advisor. I'm a brother. I wasn't in control of anything. I was there to listen and offer my take. I did urge my brother to resign when the time came. There are stories and critics saying all kinds of things about me. Many unsupported. But know this. My position has never changed. I never misled anyone about the information I was delivering or not delivering on this program. But some criticizing the decision not to cover the scandal as a double standard after the Cuomo brothers repeatedly appeared together on CNN during the pandemic, often in lighthearted interviews. You know, this is the regular swab. This is what we're told disappeared in the governor's nose. Chris Cuomo has been clear that, you know, it's family first, journalism second. I do think that CNN needs to take a stand. And I think they need to be very clear with both Cuomo and their audiences and with their employees about what is considered acceptable professional behavior. So some people may think that by doing this, by taking this action, 
by suspending him indefinitely, that they have taken a clear position and made it clear what is acceptable behavior and what is not. But in their statement is a line that just did not sit well with me. And in that statement, CNN wrote, quote, but we also appreciated the unique position he was in and understood his need to put family first and job second. Is that going to be something that you understand with people who are reporters at your network? And in a substantial position of power. It's not like he was a plumber and when his brother was accused of something needed to put his family first, then what you do is you you take some time off from being a plumber and you help your family. You don't remain on the air continuing to broadcast, continuing to use your position of substantial influence to aid someone who is alleged and very likely or at the very least credibly accused of multiple instances of abusing his power with relationship to women specifically. I mean, we've already seen the Time's Up organization just completely dismantle because they had a bunch of dumb shits at the top who were helping him navigate all of this in a nefarious way. Chris Cuomo should not be immune from consequence. And I know, Jesse, you have seen some criticism for your take on Chris Cuomo and and the allegations regarding his his conduct here. Yeah. Because there's a lot of love for him. Liberals love him. They appreciate the firebrand. They like the let's get after it persona. Uh, well, it, it, what it is, it's it's the team sport of politics. And people, if it, it's the same thing with like people who won't say a bad word about um, Alec Baldwin mm-hmm. because he's a Trump critic. Mm-hmm. And because that's all that matters. That's if you're a Trump, an anti-Trump person, you can do no wrong. Yeah. And I don't operate like that. Mm-hmm. I think Alec Baldwin is a troubled individual with a troubled ha- past of being an abuser. The same goes for for Chris Cuomo, who knew he was COVID positive and was out in public mask free early on when he got COVID. So he's not a good guy. Well, and this is where we get into trouble on this show <laughs> and you having a YouTube channel where you say things that kind of buck against that team sport trend. Yeah. And people start to think almost... Huh. Does that mean he's not one of us? Yeah, that's exactly what happens. It, it becomes almost suspicion. Like, why would you criticize Chris Cuomo? He's one of us. Why would you do that? Because but, I'm not going to protect abusers. But That's why. But what's important is that we need to try to check that human impulse that we all have. Yeah. Check that bias. Check check the motivated reasoning that comes up when we have that desire to just agree with someone because they are on our political team and, and see beyond that political label and, and try to really assess whether or not someone should be in a position of power, yeah. for example, or if they have shown that maybe they are not qualified to be in that position of power anymore. You know, I, I, I look at it as this. I would I would encourage everybody to to do the great work that I do. Um, that's a joke. Uh, listen, I think we could all, this is how I operate with this, is I allow myself to feel, to be in that awkward, uncomfortable position of feeling disappointed that someone I once looked up to, Chris Cuomo doesn't fall into this camp, but someone I once looked up to um, is acting like an asshole or maybe is an asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, Louis C.K., mm-hmm. Dave Chappelle, mm-hmm. more recently, mm-hmm. 
I'm very disappointed, no longer a fan of these two individuals because I'm not going to um, give space to abusers and bigots, and that's what they've proved themselves to be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I don't think this is a message for the, the audience at large. I think largely, to keep using the word large, uh, <laughs> our large audience yeah. is filled with large people who largely... Okay, I'm done. Um, I think our, our audience is is a majority of a bunch of people who are skeptics and do um, create space for changing their minds, even about people they once looked up to. Mm-hmm. And, and also, this goes for people on the left, like Bernie Sanders, mm-hmm. who, when he makes mistakes, we get a lot of pushback when we push back against him. Mm-hmm. When he does something we don't agree with, all of the Bernie bros in the audience, they get a little pissy. Well, it is across the board, but this is also why we make it an important point to say that we want listener communication. We want to hear people when you disagree. We want to hear from people if you disagree with what we're saying, because there may be something that we're missing. There may be something that we're not taking into consideration. We're just two people having a conversation. Yeah, yeah. And who knows if if we're right about some of the stuff that we have to say. A lot of times we think we're very right. But we might be wrong. And so that's why you should call in 657-464-7609 or I doubt it at dollamore.com. So let's 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 go back in time to nineteen seventy-three hmm. when Roe v. Wade was being argued before the Supreme Court, when it was being decided, when it was being made a a the the law of the land incontrovertibly so that for the next 40 years we would understand it to be just the way things are that we've moved into modernity and uh, abortion as health care is just the way it is because that's exactly where we are right now we are back in 1973 getting ready to regress to pre-1973 america yeah We just heard the oral arguments. Hopefully you were able to tune in. If you were not, we're going to be playing only primarily Justice Sonia Sotomayor's questioning. Boss laid. Yes. She was absolutely fantastic. Mic drop. It was amazing. It's unfortunate that Breyer is there. He he did ask some good questions, and he really focused on the aspect of what the optics will be for the court. Surprising that he focused on this. Shocking. Given what he said during his media appearances on Stephen Colbert and everything like that, when he's been pressured to retire, he talked about what it would look like for the court if, because the political structure of the court has changed that this precedent is overturned. And and that wasn't something that just he hit on. But as they heard the oral arguments in the case about Mississippi's ban on most abortions after 15 weeks, many different issues came up. They talked about uh, viability. They talked about overturning precedent, the, what is it, stare decisis, which is a Latin phrase that means to stand by things decided, in case you weren't aware. I learned that today. You know what they could just do is say to stand by things decided, not starry decisis. No, it sounds fancy when you say starry decisis. <laughs> you know, I took I took a semester of Latin oh, in you did, did you? high school. 
Yeah. Well, blah, 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 I blah, blah. Would, I thought it would be very relevant and help me in life. How'd that work out for you? It didn't. <laughs> so by and large, let's just talk about after the oral arguments happened, legal experts, which we are not, tend to believe that Roe v. Wade is very likely to be overturned. Yeah. That is the primary view at this point. There are other options that are available, and we'll talk about those, but I want to give everyone the opportunity to get kind of a flavor of some of the oral arguments that took place on the first. Viability is not tethered to anything in the Constitution, in history, or tradition. It's a quintessentially legislative line. Counsel, there's so much that's not in the Constitution, including the fact that we have the last word. Marbury versus Madison. There is not anything in the Constitution that says that the court, the Supreme Court, is the last word on what the Constitution means. It was totally novel at that time. And yet what the court did was reason from the structure of the Constitution that that's what was intended. And here in Casey and in Roe, the court said there is inherent in our structure that there are certain personal decisions that belong to individuals and the states can't intrude on them. The the viability line discounts and disregards state interests and the undue burden standard has all all of the problems. How is your interest anything but a religious view? Um, The issue of when life begins has been hotly debated by philosophers since the beginning of time. It's still debated in religions. Um, So when you say this is the only right that takes away from the state the ability to protect the life, that's a religious view, isn't it? Because it assumes that a fetus is life at when? You're not drawing your... When do you suggest we begin that life? I think the philosophical questions Your Honor mentioned, all those reasons that they're hard, they've been debated, they're, they're, they're important, they're, those are all reasons to return this to the people because the people should get to debate these hard issues. And this court does not in that kind of a circumstance... So when does the life of a woman and putting her at risk enter the calculus? Meaning... Right now, forcing women who are poor, and that's 75% of the population, and much higher percentage of those women in Mississippi who elect abortions before viability, they are put at a tremendously greater risk of medical complications and ending their life, 14 times greater to give birth to a child full term than it is to have an abortion before viability. And now the state is saying to these women, we can choose not only to physically complicate your existence, put you at medical risk, make you poorer by the choice, because we believe what? Now, Um, the sponsors of this bill, the House bill in Mississippi, said we're doing it because we have new justices. 
the newest ban that Mississippi has put in place, the six-week ban, the Senate sponsor said, we're doing it because we have new justices on the Supreme Court. Will this institution survive the stench that this creates in the public perception that the Constitution and its reading are just political acts. So as you can see, it wasn't just Justice Breyer who got on this this point, but also Justice Sotomayor, because uh, the stench is likely going to be quite strong. And it is exactly what was foretold, to use a word I don't think has ever crossed my lips, <laughs> during the Kavanaugh hearing. Mm-hmm. When he got up there and lied like a fucking lion liar about, oh, it's settled law. <laughs> I'm Bart O'Kavanaugh. I love to boof and I love beer. <laughs> I love to boof? I don't know. Wasn't there some weird... Oh, my God. Me and my buddy Squee. Uh, squee, squee. Yikes. We yeah. have, we have a, a, just a monster, on the, a couple of monsters mm-hmm. on the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who are credibly accused... Of assaulting women, mm-hmm. of abusing women, of just being abject assholes toward women, and they sit in judgment now of women's reproductive health. Yeah. Well, you also have Amy Coney Barrett. Please do not let Justice Barrett off the hook. Another woman yeah, but she on the hates, court. She hates to boof. I, I got nothing. She took a very different approach. Here and focused more on safe haven laws as a solution to abortion, meaning that because women have the ability to give their children up for adoption, right, or leave them at a fire station, that that pretty much solves that problem, right? It solves the problem. See, seems like a real great solution. And what what's surprising about this is this was an actual line of questioning that there was a question. Within the the justices' heads, just showing her hand is what it is. That women essentially have resources now. So, like, is abortion really even necessary? Like, things have changed for women. They have resources now. Do they really need abortion? Nobody dies during pregnancy or childbirth anymore. That's that's that doesn't even happen, except for all the times that it does. Their arguments uh, that the state of Mississippi is making is that it's been a long time since Roe, 50 years, and modern women don't need access to abortion as they did in the past. How, how do they make sense of that? Can you explain that? It, it, well, it's an argument they made forcefully yesterday, and they were challenged on it in the courtroom, Terry, and you heard that. Mississippi says so much has changed. Contraception is more widely available now uh, for women. Women are more integrated into the workplace and into the economy. Uh, they made the argument that uh, pregnancy is, in their view, much less of an imposition on women as it was, say, 50 years ago. So perhaps, as Amy Coney Barrett put it during the argument, women uh, who have an unwanted pregnancy should should just you know turn to safe haven laws and turn their children up uh, for adoption. Uh, that was challenged pretty uh, forcefully by a number of the liberal justices who who made an interesting point, Terry, because no matter what you think of the merits of those arguments, they were raised back in 1992, uh, 20 years after Roe versus Wade, and the court at that time, a conservative court, took all of that in and said, you know. 
Roe should stand. So again, uh, many are wondering what really has changed uh, over just the past couple of decades. And the argument against that, of course, is that not much has changed. Except for the membership of the Supreme Court. And that's right. Raised as well. Devin Dwyer. Getting back to that stench. Even news reporters can't get away from the stench that is going to be on the courts when this is overturned simply because the political affiliation of the the court has has been swayed to primary conservatism. Because I don't want to vote for Hillary Clinton. <laughs> Let's talk about Ugh. Amy Coney Barrett, though, talking about how safe haven laws and being able to give your, your child up for adoption is a solution to the abortion problem. Well, it's estimated that there are over 100,000 children waiting to be adopted every year, and fewer than 60,000 are actually adopted annually. So it's an, accu- it's an accumulation of children waiting to be adopted. Which It's, it's not like there's the, the supply is less than the demand. It's We've got a problem where there's not enough demand to adopt children. Right, and in her world, that would only get worse even worse worse yeah 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 and so let's talk about american support for overturning roe v wade gallup asks this question every year and in their latest poll assessment of abortion attitudes they find that 58 percent of americans are opposed to overturning roe versus wade how many 58 percent opposed to overturning roe versus wade only 58 percent yeah i was surprised by the number two i thought it was I thought it would be higher. I did. I did. Uh, But I will still say that that is a majority. And we're about to have a decision here, which will come down in June. That's when it's expected to come down, June of 2022. And they will likely, if it goes the way people are thinking, it will go the way of the minority view in this country. Correct. Yeah. Which is terrifying. And it's not representative of a democracy. It's not representative, but also what's going to happen If this is overturned, that's really scary. If the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, then individuals would lose the federal constitutional protection to abortion. And it would go back to the states to decide what individuals' rights are in terms of being able to terminate their pregnancies when they want to. 18 states that either have a pre-Roe ban still on their books, and then there's additional states that have passed laws that are intended to restrict abortion to the maximum amount possible by federal law. And so in those states, we can expect to see abortion banned fairly quickly. There's another category of states that have protections for abortion. Those are 13 states in D.C. where abortion would remain protected. Let me say this, that if indeed Roe is overturned, and these 18 states, these draconian, dick-faced states, run by men, are going to restrict or eliminate access to abortion. Every every single one of you within my earshot, I was going to say every company, but I'll put it this way. We all need to be prepared to sacrifice and Like if Southwest Airlines doesn't move out of Texas, don't fly Southwest. We need to use capitalism to our advantage in this case and stop doing business with any company that is headquartered in 
or does a substantial amount of business in a state that outlaws abortion for women. That is just the way it is because that is the quickest way to turn the tables on a conservative um, entity like a state is to hit them where the pocketbook is because that ultimately is more important than any of their moralizing bullshit. Well, and before I forget, I want to give a shout out to the organization that put that clip together, Kaiser Family Foundation, and specifically Lori Sobel, who was narrating the information in that video, which is important. We need to kind of have our 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 heads wrapped around what it's going to look like if Roe v. Wade is overturned. And like she said in the clip, you have 18 states that are immediately going to ban abortion. You have 13 states in D.C. that recognize the right to abortion, where that will be protected. And you have 22 states that would likely pass new laws related to abortion access, limiting abortion access in some way. And in those states where you have a right to abortion, 13 states and D.C., you're going to see those states overrun by people coming from other states. Yeah. Again, rich people who can afford to travel, who can afford to take time off work, who can afford to go to another state. Yeah. It's going to be a certain population that is able to travel to other states. Like we're seeing right now in states like Oklahoma, states that border Texas. Yes. Now, another another option is, when we're looking at the outcomes of, the, of this case, is that the Supreme Court could allow states to ban abortion pre-viability when the ban does not, quote, burden a substantial number of people seeking abortion care. Another option is that they could uphold Roe versus Wade and not permit states to ban abortion pre-viability. So the worst case scenario is obviously the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade, which, if you ask legal experts, seems like a likely outcome. I, I've seen many... Or at least a reasonable possibility. Yeah, I've seen many legal experts talking about this, that they actually were not expecting it to be as likely <laughs> as until it they now heard, seems to be. Until they heard the arguments and the questions and the directions some of the conservative justices were going. Exactly. Yeah. Until they basically saw how determined the conservative justices are to overturn this. I mean, even Kavanaugh, Bart O. Kavanaugh up there... Yeah. Uh, who said, oh, settle precedent. Precedent's important. Pre- precedent is just what it is. Right. Then he gets up there and talks about all of the different instances where the Supreme Court has overturned precedent, like, uh, you know, the Brown, Brown, versus Bo- Brown v. Board of Education <laughs> right. versus Plessy um, versus Ferguson. For Ferguson. Yeah. yeah. Which, of course, <laughs> it's so strange to me that they're using these examples because in that case you have over overturning precedent to give more freedom to people yes. in, in that case. And in this case, you have overturning precedent to restrict freedom. Yeah. Why are you using that comparison? Yeah, it's antithetical. First of all, it's antithetical to the way conservatives purport themselves to believe. Yeah. But it's it doesn't matter because the the ends justify the means in every case with a conservative. Well... Every if- single case, especially with these assholes who are religious zealots and fundamentalists related to this particular issue especially. Well, and Susan Collins was questioned about... Fuck her too. She said that she hadn't listened to the oral arguments yet. Oh, good for you, lady. (laughs) She's the one who said that, I I don't think he's going to... I don't think... Yeah. 
that Bart O'Kavanaugh is gonna is gonna rule that way. I don't think so. And she voted to confirm him, right? When Lisa Murkowski did not. She, and she, I believe she was the vote. Susan Collins was the vote. Yeah. And I also want to say I don't want to let someone like uh, Diane Feinstein off the hook either, because you may remember following Amy the, Coney Barrett's the confirmation. The big old bear hug. The big old bear hug, but also the praise for how it was like one of the best confirmation hearings that she's ever been to. She needs to fucking go to. What What are you talking about? Yeah. And then she tried to tweet from her Twitter account something about protecting abortion access no. Yeah. You don't get to do that. And then, of course, I have, you know, people in my mentions that that know her or whatever. And there's other explanations. Oh, OK. Yeah. There's other explanations. Perfect. Again, team sport. Yeah. She's she's got a D after her name. We can't criticize her. And you should. Fuck her. She needs to go. You should criticize her. It's very important to do so. Vile hypocrite. So we will continue to follow this. We are eager to hear any thoughts that you have about what happened on the first with this case, about how you're feeling. 657-464-7609 or idoubtit at dollamore.com. Taking care of biz. Leslie Nurse. Leslie Nurse. Leslie Nurse was arrested for shoplifting at Walmart. Taking care of biz. Shoplifting. (laughs) (laughs) She was accused of stealing groceries that totaled $48. Accused is the operative word here. Accused is the operative word. We always use accused on this show. You, you want me to find it? <laughs> I got to do some work not, here. Not if you're... Allegedly. allegedly. Oh, it's allegedly. allegedly. A fucking allegedly. There we allegedly. Go. Yes, absolutely. So she sued Walmart because this was not it was a... a false accusation. It was a false accusation. I feel like we're doing the 60 Minutes thing right now. Like, you keep was saying a, something was it and a, I'm was repeating it, a, it. Was it a total it's, false accusation? It's because it's... It was a total false it's accusation. It's late and it's the end of the show and you're just so like... we got to get on a plane in a few You're hours. helping me out. So... She sued Walmart and exposed shady dealings within Walmart's organization. Shocking, I know. You want me to play the clip now? I thought you were going to (laughs) play the clip. Anytime I can get a little joke in, even by way of clip, you know I'm going to take it. I know you will. Here's the clip, everybody. Leslie Nurse says she was at the self-checkout at the Sims Walmart with her husband and three kids, fighting a malfunctioning scanner, even getting help from a Walmart associate. After she thought she'd finished and paid, she was stopped by an asset protection manager. I remember going in that little room and I was like, this will be resolved. This was an accident. This wasn't on purpose. She was eventually charged with stealing $48 worth of groceries, 11 items in all, including Christmas lights, a loaf of bread, and Cap'n Crunch cereal. She was eventually arrested, mugshot taken, but the criminal charge was eventually dropped when no one from Walmart showed up to court. By then, she said, the damage to her reputation had already been done, her ability to make a living stifled by the criminal charge. What was worse, she continued to receive demand letters from a Walmart-affiliated law firm offering to drop the matter if she paid them $200. At first you think, oh, I'll pay it and it'll all go away. But then I'm like, you know, I I didn't do anything wrong. Why would I pay for something that I didn't do? But it turns out many people do. During testimony in the lawsuit she filed against the company, an expert testified Walmart routinely uses what are known as civil recovery laws in many states to get people they've accused of shoplifting to pay up. 
University of Nebraska assistant law professor Ryan Sullivan, who has studied the practice, testified that in a two-year period, Walmart charged some 1.4 million people across the country with criminal theft of property and ended up collecting more than $300 million through their civil demand letters in the same period. The lawsuit nurse filed against Walmart charged the company with abusive process, meaning the company used the criminal charges to bolster their chances of civil recovery. Exactly, that they prosecute her solely for the purpose of getting what they call civil recovery on money. To add insult to injury, Walmart never produced a video that would have been recorded at the self-checkout area that would have proved nurse shoplifted or didn't. It would have shown the truth and that they didn't want the truth to be shown. At the end of this lawsuit, filed in 2018 and delayed by the COVID pandemic, a unanimous jury found for nurse and awarded her $2.1 million in punitive damages. I hope it makes a difference. I don't want anybody else to have to go through this again. Bill Riles, WKRG News 5. So I know this is going to be shocking too, but Randy Hargrove, a Walmart spokesman, said that they are going to be contesting the verdict and that they believe the $2.1 million in damages that has been awarded exceeds the amount allowed under law in, in Alabama. Ugh, fucking Walmart. I know. It's gross. As if they don't have $2 million to give. Can I, can I give a, a kudos to the, to the, to the reporter? Yes. Cap and crunch. <laughs> yeah. It's weird to hear somebody say the word cap and crunch. Well, he's saying what it is. I know, but I, I think I would always just call it Captain Crunch. I guess I have done that too. You yeah. have done that, or that's how you that's how you pronounce it. Captain it's, Crunch. Yeah, I think Captain I say crunch. Captain Crunch, yeah. He calls it Cap and Crunch. Well, he's all about the facts. <laughs> he's all about the facts. I listen. As, as much as the story is important because fuck Walmart, I would love to know how people pronounce Captain Crunch. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, I'm deliriously tired. Yeah, so we both are. I love, I love that she did this. I love that she took this action against Walmart. Imagine being in her shoes. Oh, absolutely. The, 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 the horror of being brought back into the loss prevention, you know, where they were tough guy in her and acting like cops right. when they're just fucking Walmart employees. Well, I don't know why you have to put so much stank on the Walmart employees situation. Well, I, no, I just mean they're just department store security guards. Okay. How about that? There we go. Anybody who acts like a cop who's, well, anybody who acts like a cop, even if they are a cop, don't fucking act like a cop. Just be a person. Yeah. But if you're not even a cop and you're a tough guy because you can't be a cop acting like a cop, fuck you extra. <laughs> I'm full of piss and vinegar, Brittany Page. Okay. So <laughs> they also claim that this civil recovery program has been discontinued and was discontinued in 2018. And the spokesman disputed that the program had been driven by revenue. Saying, right. saying, quote, civil recovery programs have been reported as profit centers, and they are not. And that characterization about our company was not accurate. Mm. Yeah. You got this minor detail wrong, but we're super moral and upstanding. Well, the jury said otherwise, and it's going to be $2.1 million for you. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to leave you there. We'd love. We invite you to participate in the show. Have, a, have us help you amplify your voice. Get your question on the record. Please call. Leave us a voicemail. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We sure do 
love and appreciate every single one of you taking time out of your day, out of your evening, out of your life to join us and learn about the the wonder that is Walmart and the dystopian country we live in with our 6-3 Supreme Court. We will see you next time. We love you guys. We appreciate you. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It.